The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. The message today, we're in Nehemiah chapter 11. Nehemiah chapter 11. Let me pray before we jump into that, and then we'll see what God has for us this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you just for your son, Jesus. Thank you for who you are, the way that you speak to us, specifically through your word. I pray you do that now that we'd be transformed by you, and that you would be honored, and that we would leave here looking more like you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are and what you do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Before we go to Nehemiah chapter 11, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Uh, probably the most misinterpreted verse in all of scripture. It says this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah wrote that verse sometime after 586 BC. Pretty close to it. In 586 BC, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, sacked Jerusalem, burned it to the ground, took God's people, the Israelites who were living there, took them into exile in Babylon. They were captives. And while they were captives, if you remember from Nehemiah chapter 9, there's this cycle that God's children have gone through. Really from the beginning, there's this cycle of disobedience where then God does something to get their attention. Usually not something good, like they're taken captive. And while they're in captivity, they realize that we, God, we we messed up and they cry out. And then God rescues them. Jeremiah was sent to kind of encourage the crying out part. And so he reminds the captives, hey, this wasn't God's plan for you. This isn't what it's supposed to be. There's something so much better. God has something so much better. Will you just turn back to him? The reason I'm reading that passage is because what we see in Nehemiah chapter 11 today is the fulfillment of that promise. The city was in ruins, no more Jerusalem, people taken away. 40 years earlier, Ezra leads a couple thousand, tens of 40,000 of them back. They're allowed to go. They rebuild the temple first. They begin to worship God again there in Jerusalem, where it should be. Nehemiah takes the baton. He rebuilds the wall. Somewhere in the middle of all that, the houses are reconstructed. Jerusalem is beautiful again. God has been faithful. There is one problem. There's no people. Over the course of the decades that it took to rebuild Jerusalem, when they arrived, they couldn't live there because it was a construction zone, so they spread out into the countryside. We talked about this. They built farms and vineyards and homes. And now that Jerusalem's done, Nehemiah has one final step, one final problem to overcome. He needs people to live in it. He needs people to populate it. And so that's where we are. And just like Nehemiah's done all throughout this, he, he figures out a way. So I want to ask you the question that he had to ask himself. You have successfully completed a task that God has given you. You've built something. God's called you to build something. Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's a literal something, whatever it is. But God's called you to build something. How do you fill it up? How do you fill it up? How do you get people to buy in to what God has called you to do? How do you get people to to see that what you're doing is of him and and want to be a part of it? Well, Nehemiah does it in a very specific way, but I want you to kind of think of that. Let's read verses 1 and 2, chapter 11. Now the leaders of the people, they settled in Jerusalem. 
And I think that's at the coursing of Nehemiah. He goes to the heads of the families and he says, hey guys, you know we're here for a purpose. We need you to go populate the city. Hopefully by doing so, those who look up to you as leaders, they will follow your, your bidding. They, they will come as well. So he gets the leaders to go. But for the rest of the people, we're talking tens of thousands, let's cast lots to bring one out of every 10 of them to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the remaining nine, they will stay in their own towns. It's a draft. It's literally a draft. We need more people. The only fair way that Nehemiah could figure out how to fill up the city was to go to each person living out in the countryside and go, hey, out of every 10 of you, every 10 in your family, I need one person to come on with me. Now, you can volunteer. Maybe you don't like your vineyard or your house. Maybe you think something awesome is going on in Jerusalem. You can volunteer. But if no one does, we'll just draw a name out of the hat and they they need to go. Now, I'm not a big fan of forced relocation. I think like Trail of Tears type stuff. Like that's really not a good thing. But Nehemiah had a big problem, and this is the way he chose to address it. And it appeared to work, but I want you to look at verse 2. The people, the masses, they commended, you should underline that, they commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. And I think you can understand that. So there's people out there going, I'm not going, but I think it's awesome that you are. And I'm not being sarcastic. Like, I think it's awesome that you are volunteering to do this because we do believe that Jerusalem needs to have people in it. So well done. Well done to you, sir or ma'am, for, for stepping out of your own way and doing something for God. Verse three, these are the provincial leaders who settled in Jerusalem. And the next 33 verses are a list of names and the amount of people who chose to move to Jerusalem. Nehemiah would have been a good accountant, like a really good accountant. I, I think Nehemiah was a great leader. I think he just way overdid the lists, though. Like the list, just oh, so many lists. So with your permission, I'm not gonna read the list. I'm not gonna read the numbers. Um, just know that it's there. That's who went. They're, they're recorded. That's important. They made it in the Bible because they volunteered to go or got drafted. That's, it's an important list. I'm just not going to read it. I do want you to know that I did look through these, though, and verse 30 is of importance. It just describes the region from which people were moved out of their homes back into Jerusalem. Verse 30, so they were living all the way from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. I'm sure you know where those are, but just in case you don't, um, if you kind of picture the Middle East, there's the Mediterranean Sea on the west, there's the Dead Sea on the east, And these two towns are 50 miles apart, north to south. And so in that little box, that's where people were pulled from to return to Jerusalem. And when you think about like the square mileage of that, people were moving from a long, long, long way away. And they were relocating, some being forced, others doing so willingly, but they needed to populate Jerusalem. So that's how Nehemiah did it. I go back to the question for you. How would you do it? Would you go the forced relocation route? Would you try to look for more volunteers? But you know that God's called you to do something. How would you do it? And today what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to talk about how God, when he moves, how I've seen him through Summit get people to buy in, to move in 
to inhabit what, what God is doing here. I, I want to talk about that uh, kind of from the history, and, and here's why. I, I want you to know why, because this, if this is your first time here, this is a little different than what we normally do. We normally like read the verse, explain the verse, stand up and worship and respond to it. That's, that's typically what we do. But every once in a while as a pastor, I, I need to just remind us of why we do what we do. And maybe it casts a little bit of vision. And we were supposed to be launching Norman today. So I wrote this talk to be like a grand opening talk, but it actually works a week before as well. So how do you fill up something? How do you fill up, a, think of a house or a city, but really it's God's called you to build something. How do you get people involved? Well, Summit began nine years ago. Paige and I feeling like we were called to plant a church in the greater southwest metropolitan area, specifically trying to focus on reaching young families. That, that was the vision. That was, that was what we had. And initially, about 25 people said, I'm, I'm in. I, I get it. A lot of them had my last name. <laughs> they, they were required to be there. But there were a handful. There were a handful that came because... They saw what was going on. And, but so from 25, we, we needed to fill up, fill up the city. We needed to fill up the house, right? You gotta, the whole purpose of the church is reach the lost, reach people. So how, how are we going to do that? Well, man, we, we had a plan. We had invite cards. We had these amazing preview services, what we call them, like, you know, kind of whet the appetite. We had banners, wonderful, colorful banners. We had a logo and a website. We had a social media page or three. Like, we were killing it. And, and you want to know, of all of that labor, of all that work, how many people came because of those things that, that filled up the house? Zero. Zero. Because that's not what draws a person into the presence of God. I'm not saying any of it's wrong. We still have most of those things. But that, that, doesn't, that doesn't do it. But you know what I found I found that what Nehemiah experienced in chapter 11 is, is how you do fill up a house. It takes people, specifically committed people, people who volunteer to do something that isn't necessarily pleasant for themselves. It takes that. It takes people who are willing to move miles to re-inhabit a city that they may care about, but they sure weren't planning on doing that. It takes people committing and in investing. And I saw that because you know what, what happened? What was, this, was, this was really kind of hard for me, but like the, in these preview services, right? These wonderful wet your appetite services. First one of those, we had like 300 people show up. It was incredible. There were people everywhere. By the time we started meeting as a church, I had successfully shrunk that number down to about 90. Now as a church planner, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to shrink it by two-thirds. You're supposed to grow it. So I was feeling real good about myself and our plan, rethinking everything, about to throw in the towel. But out of that 90, what I realized is there were about 40 who were bought in. And at that point, you had to be. Because we would roll up on a Sunday morning with a trailer. All our stuff fit in a 16-foot trailer. And someone had to unload it. And someone had to set it up. And the place they set it up was the old gym in Newcastle. It smelled like pee-pee in there. It, and you know, if you were there, you know I'm not kidding. There were these locker rooms down there that didn't drain well. And it, it, mm, it was wonderful. 
when if you wanted to turn on the lights, you couldn't see that they were on because they produced any light. You heard that they were on, right? You know those old gym lights? You turn them on, it's like bzzz, bzzz. So it took three minutes. You know how I know it took three minutes? Because we had to time it. It took three minutes for those lights to warm up and come on. Now, if God forbid someone turned them off, then it was like a 12-minute reset process. But so we would start, we would have them off during our worship time. And some, I mean, someone was in charge of during that last song, you, three minutes before you had to go flip on the switch so that there'd be light when I came out and preached. Did I mention it smelled like pee-pee too? <laughs> you have to set it up, lights don't work. Uh, my favorite part from the beginning days, there was no air conditioning. Now, I know you're like, well, that's a creature comfort. Yeah, no, that's a necessity for us. It was Mother's Day. That was the last time we met in the non-air-conditioned pee-pee gym. Um, it was probably 90 degrees in there. People were about to fall out, not from the Holy Spirit, but from heat exhaustion. And there was one guy, I remember, that came up and goes, this is awesome, it's like going to church in Africa. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, that's not at all what we're going for, man. Like, that is not our plan. But there were people who put aside their desires, put aside what would make them most comfortable, and they bought in. And then from that, because of those people inviting others, being about the mission, God growing and doing what he does, then the house started to fill up, just like Jerusalem, as as the leaders bought in, as, as those who were even drafted bought it, it, eventually Jerusalem was filled, but it was filled because of people who understood and saw the vision that Nehemiah had cast, and some it was the same way. Now, a church cannot and should not just be filled only with people who, like, get it, okay? You can't, because there should be people that are seeking, there should be people that are looking, there should be visitors, there should, I mean, like, I, if this is your first time, like, I don't expect you to be like, I'm going to sign on the dotted line, like, that's not it, that, it can't just have that. The church needs to have a, a good variety of people in different places in their spiritual journey and different levels of commitment to the body. But I'll tell you, the church has grown through the labor, the commitment, the prayers, the perspiration of the people that are bought in, people that are committed. And I commend those of you in the room, and I know most of you who are that. And I thank you. And going back nine years, I can tell you who those people are. And I thank you for allowing God to use you. Now, there's a second reason, or second way, sorry, second way that a house that God has built will, will be filled up. And that is when people know that when they walk into that house, they will experience the presence of God. They will experience the presence of God. They won't experience a man or a woman. They won't experience a show. They will experience the presence of God of God, a house that is constantly filled, a church that is constantly growing, I think it does so because in that house, God is moving. God is actively working in people's lives and you can sense that and you can feel that and you can be a part of that and there's something electrifying about sensing that and feeling that and being a part of that. As people walk in to Summit, and it's been like this from the beginning, you hear them say, it, like, yeah, there were some things that we liked that were good, but we just felt like the spirit, or they use these different terms, the spirit, we felt the presence of God, we felt, felt this, like, and that's what we're going for. 
God's moving here. And as long as he continues to do so, this church will continue to grow. Because that's what grows a church. When we had a building in Newcastle like the, that didn't smell, when we had a building that, that was ours, it was right on Main Street, which is Highway 62. I mean, it, thousands of cars travel that every day. And I told our staff, I, when we started, I was like, hey, the way a church grows is through relationship. Like, you gotta be out talking about sharing the gospel. You gotta be out inviting. People are not just gonna drive by, see your church, and pull in. And, but we have this Connect card, and we, we still have, but I don't think this question's on there. And that Connect card, then it said, how did you hear about Summit, or why, why how, something like that. It was some, some kind of information, like what, what happened that got you in the door. About one out of every four of those, as I would read them, it said, just drove by and pulled in. Now, I, I, you know I've admitted I'm a moron, right? Like, I, I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I was just dead wrong about that. Just story after story after story, people going, like, I, I drove by this building for five years and I thought it was condemned, and now all of a sudden the parking lot's just packed. And so we, we had no intention, but one day we just drove by and said, we wanna go see what's going on, and you wanna know what's going on? God was moving. There, there were stories from that time, too, of, of Highway 9 East, Okay, before the first service and the second service, there would just be a caravan of cars coming east on Highway 9 heading to Newcastle from Norman. Most of those cars had fraternity and sorority stickers on the back. It was college students driving from the campus to Newcastle to go to this little bitty building on Main Street, but people wanted to see why are they doing that? What's going on? And obviously it was the preaching, but <laughs> secondarily, it was that God, God was moving God was moving. There are some things that we have as a church that are attractive. You know, I mean, if you, if you want to just like chalk it up, we, we got donut holes. <laughs> Every week, they go mound of donut holes. There's coffee, bottle, little bottles of water. There's a children's ministry where your kids will be safe and taught and encouraged. That's, that's awesome. We, we have very gifted, I think, um, worship leaders and you know, obviously, I'm great. So, like, but the one thing that I, that I do know for sure, this, I know this for sure. What brings someone in the door of a church keeps them in the church. Whatever, whatever brings them in keeps them there. And so, like, if the donuts, for instance, are what brought you in. Like the, I am here because it, there are donut holes. What happens that one day when like the donuts don't get picked up? You go, well, this is ridiculous. This is a travesty. I'm out of here. The, the whole reason I'm here is for those donuts and there's no more donuts. Now that's silly, right? But what about like, you know, you got maybe a singer uh, that you particularly like and Maybe she has a baby and you haven't seen her for three months. <laughs> and you're just like, this is, this is an outrage. Where's that little girl that sings with that voice? That's why I come here. The one great thing that I can promise you every week is God. Is far greater than any of those things and always present and always great when we're not. That's what grows a church is the presence of God. 
And that, that's why I think the church is this beautiful emergency room for people who are in crisis because they come in and not that they get this great teaching or they, this great worship, they come in and they get to experience the presence of God, the healing, wonderful, powerful, loving presence of God. And it renews and it restores. And even if they don't stay, even if they just walk in once, they get that. We can always, always count on that. And that's what grows a church. That's what fills it up. And, and now, now, Summit, we have a job to do. Because we have another house to fill up. Another campus. And I, I'm, I'm going to be very transparent with you. I know that there are some of you who are so jacked about Norman that you're like, I can't wait to get down there and, and I'm going to go and it's going to be incredible. And it will but I'm not sure what it's gonna look like here. I don't know. I'm not sure what it's gonna look like there. I'm, I'm not sure what it's gonna be like in January when we go to Sunday mornings and ever so often you, you don't get to see me live or whoever's, pre- it's, it's on a video screen. I don't know how it's gonna feel. But I hope that we have people, and that's the, that's the challenge today, and that's, that's, this is just for people that like are, or here, if, if, this, if you're checking it out, just keep checking it out. But feel that that's the challenge today. Like, will you say today before it even happens, rain or shine, I'm in. Like, I'm in. I'm committed to what God is doing. I believe that God has called us. And it's so cool how, like, we've been praying for Norman for five years. You know, we've called Wolf a few times, right? Like, hey, we're doing this. And it didn't, and it didn't happen because God had to prepare us and had to let us meet this wonderful congregation called University Christian. Now it's time, and, and I just want to like kind of call, call in all parties. Like, it's, it's time. We got we to gotta fill up Norman. We got to fill that house, and we got to kind of back build this house. And it's, it's going to take people who are bought in, because that's the first way that you grow a church, and the second way is the presence of God, and, and we, that's going to be there, right? I mean, that's there. So it really comes back to the people then. And so I'm, I'm just calling. I'm calling out today for you to commit to put down roots maybe you haven't and for whatever reason but like you can say okay I get it because don't make me don't make me be literal to scripture like if Norman's not working I gotta pull one out every 10 of you until you have to go you know like don't let's not do let's not have a draft let's let's just know that what God calls his people to do he equips them to do and he sees it through but he really, really, really loves people who really, really love being used by him. That's, that's what we're all called to be and called to do. So today, as, as we respond, as we worship and pray, um, and, and I'm, once again, like, I, I keep apologizing if this is like your first time here. This isn't typically how we do it. But one more thing. Like, our pastors and our prayer team are gonna be up here. We'd love to pray with you about anything. We'd love to pray with you about... Norman about Oklahoma City about the church about your roles whatever that anything really but what I would love to see are the people that are bought in and rooted and committed to this vision I'd love to see kind of this whole area just filled with people praying just for the church for the glory of God for the communities that we're going to reach for the lost I'd love to see people just kneeling down up here and praying and uh, that would be awesome to see, and then maybe it's maybe that could be even for those of you who are like, all right, I I've been challenged and I'm I'm in. Maybe that could be instead of coming up and saying, hey Todd, I'm in. Like you could just come and just say, I'm in.
to God because that's where it matters the most. Regardless, though, I, I just want you to respond to this. I want you to process this and, and I want you to know that this next season for this church is gonna be incredible. It's gonna be so good. And there's only, there's only one reason why I know that. And it's because God has called it. He's called us to it. It's not us. It's not just something we're manufacturing. It's God. I can't wait to see what he's gonna do. And I can't wait to see who he's gonna use. So Father, thank you that you use broken people, imperfect people to do your will, to fulfill your will. And God, I just pray today that we would humble ourselves before you and that we would get on board with what you're doing. And God, that we'd make a difference in this world. And that that difference would be you. That you would be light and darkness, transforming people's lives from the inside out. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In this your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's respond to him.